hello everybody and welcome to uh, another exciting episode of the rpg academy uh, your normal host michael is not here today you're stuck with me chris berlou uh, michael is usually co-host over on uh, detention and trials and several other things uh, if you've listened to us for a while you're used to hearing my voice today i have a really fun and interesting kickstarter that we want to talk about and with me i have steve who is the ceo of troll lord games i'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself steve tell us a little bit about yourself uh, my name is steven chenault i'm ceo of troll lord games i've been at the helm since about 2003 we we founded the company me and matt golden and my brother davis chenault founded the company in 1999 mac ran it until he kind of stepped away from the company that i took over so i've been running it ever since uh we are best known for our castles and crusades material we published gary gygax up until he passed away and uh it, we have dabbled recently in the last few years we've we've dabbled into fifth edition which has kind of led us to the kickstarter we're running right now awesome uh, give give us the quick elevator pitch on the kickstarter uh it's called undying war for fifth edition yeah, the quick pitch is it's the it's yeah it's called the Undying War, and essentially your characters it's an adventure path that takes you from first level to about twelfth or thirteenth level. We're kind of still working that that side out with the uh, the milestones, but mm-hmm. um, essentially your characters are going to enter into the the valley of the Droonberry River just on a normal adventure. Uh, through the first two or three chapters, you're going to kind of just have simple adventures, a few dungeon crawls, overlands, and whatnot. Uh, and about the fourth chapter, you're going to realize you're slowly being roped into this war. It's being waged by Coburg the Undying, this, for lack of a better term, this dark lord who lives to the north and who's trying to extend his power over this southern realm. And slowly the characters will be drawn into this epic adventure that pits them against Coburg as he not only is, attempts to seize power in the South, but he, he is also looking for his lost love, an extraordinarily evil woman named the Lady of Garoon. So it's even got a romance side to it. Uh, it's just uh, an absolutely action-packed, uh, role-playing packed, because there's so many NPCs in, this, in the Undying War that you meet along the way, uh, whether the, the DM wants to, to keep them in, you know, in, in play or to just kind of weave them in and out of whatever adventure arc they're on uh in that that moment of their campaign is entirely up to them but tons of npcs tons of different encounters city dungeon overland uh and then an epic an epic uh uh struggle in the end oh awesome it sounds like you got a, a big passion for this so before we really get into the campaign let's talk about kind of your your gaming and what what helped you develop this passion look like you uh might have gamed a couple days. I'm old, so I haven't gaming for, like I said, I think 33, 34 years now. It kind of all merges together. So tell us a little bit about your history. So uh, back in about 19, the years get fuzzy, and my brother and I can't remember. Back in 1975 or so, my father was in the service, and one of his troops was going to Korea on a hardship tour. And when he, as, as he was leaving, you can't take any, any of your you know, personal belongings when you go on mm-hmm. a hardship tour. So he had these little brown books called Dungeons and Dragons. And he gave them to my mother to do with whatever. Uh, he knew that me and Davis were into wargaming. We played a lot of Avalon Hill games, stuff like that. 
So she gave them to Davis as a present, uh, and he sat on them for about six months because he had absolutely no idea what to do with these things. It was nothing like a board game or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after after whatever spurred him on to kind of figure it out, he he ran me in my first game of D&D probably in 76, 77, somewhere around in that that time frame. And I, I played characters under Davis till about – 7980 when I started running my own games uh, and I've been running games ever since. Uh I went from Advanced Dungeons and Dragons to our our flagship Castles and Crusades. I dabbled in 3rd edition a little bit. Uh I haven't had the pleasure to jump into 5th edition hardly at all just the company's just too busy too many things going on. Um but um AD&D was the game of choice up until about 2005 2006. That's where I cut my teeth. The yeah. old Basic D and started off with a fighter and a wizard, and just my <laughs> imagination. It's been quite the journey to go through AD and D and second edition, or well, technically AD and D, second edition, third edition, fourth edition, now fifth. Uh, yep. It's been a real uh, it's, evolution. It's been very interesting to yeah, it's been interesting to watch the evolution of it. It's it's fascinating to me to see how the the gaming styles changed and the, the, the gamers changed somewhat and the game changed to adapt with it. It's, it's, I don't know, it's been very fascinating to watch since the 70s when it was really in the very, very beginning, it was very much very similar to a role play. I mean, to a, a, a board game, you know, where you're mm-hmm. really trying to, to defeat these enemies and get treasure as opposed to the role playing aspects, which eventually evolved to what we have now where people are, I mean, it's, it's, it's just really cool playing all kinds of monsters, all kinds. I don't know. It's just the sky's the limit. It's a good game. I I agree. And I'm the guy who grew up not really caring about what we collected as far as treasure. As long as my character had a sword for the fighter, I could have cared less if it was a plus one or a Vorpal sword. I just wanted my character to do his thing and go on his merry adventures. Obviously, we all like to level up and get a little more powerful, but to me, I was always about the story. Uh, yeah, I remember we probably had played for a good year or so uh, back in the 70s before we began to kind of expand it into to story based, you know, adventures and adventure arcs. And then Davis started bringing in all kinds of ecology and all kinds of stuff into the game. So it, and it but it evolved and it was just it's like you said earlier, it just kind of evolved. Absolutely. So you, you said you're more of a GM now than a player. Yeah, I infinitely prefer to run games. Uh, I I probably run, I play so little, it, it, it's it's rare. I, one of the other, in my gaming groups, one of the guys will take over for a couple of weeks and then I'll jump back in the in the table. So it is very rare that I actually play characters. Uh, I just absolutely run, I, I love running games. I'm with you. I love watching people's faces light up when they do something really neat. Or I really love it when they light up and you go, oh, nice curveball. I wasn't expecting that. That's one yes. of my little thrills as a GM. Uh, I love it when characters come at you with strange, weird, whatever ideas. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's it throws you, like you said, a curveball, and then you've got to kind of adjust to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, uh, let's let's jump into Troll Lord Games. I think that's kind of that's a thing. It's it's a really neat name. How'd you guys come up with that? So when we founded back in 99, me, Mac, and Davis were sitting at, at Vino's Pizza here in Little Rock, and um, we're trying to come up with a, a name for the company. We we had, I've got a list somewhere around here about 30-odd names, and Mac was sketching out possible logo ideas, and 
in our ongoing campaign that we had been playing since, well, 85 or some such business, uh, whenever this particular group got together, one of the one of the, the wizards that they fought continually was the troll lord. Okay. And it, after after a couple of discussions and around, you know, I, I don't either Mac or I said it. I can't remember who and said, well, why don't why don't we just bring troll lord into it? The troll lord, the wizard that we're always fighting, and that and it just clicked. Uh, so Mac and I immediately adopted it and throw games on the end, and you got troll lord games. I love hearing how people come up with the names of things. I always think it's kind of neat. It's just one of my little fascinations. So, but you didn't come on here just to talk about you and me. Let's let's talk about your Kickstarter. Uh, you already you already gave us the good elevator pitch. You said first to about thirteenth level. Yeah. Is this set in a specific campaign setting, or is it you kind of make your own? So it's it, it's we we set it up you know we've been doing this long enough that we try to always accommodate people's playing styles a lot of people have their own settings in their own worlds and i've noticed that younger gamers are really into world building so they they build their own worlds very very quickly which is just fantastic so when we when we put products like these out we try to always set it up so that they can take it and drop it into their world relatively easily so that it doesn't interrupt whatever historical flows or narratives that they may have already developed so that's definitely part of it. But as it is written, it takes place in our published world, the, the world of Erd, which is, you see part of that on the wall behind me. Mm-hmm. That's the lands of Ursul. And back in 2001, we published the Codex of Erd, which was a very large tome of history and mythology and uh, just all of the terrain and everything that you could imagine that you need into it. It's an extraordinarily well-developed world. So the the Undying War and Coburg the Undying, who the war is named after, is a major NPC in the, in the world of Eric. So if you're inclined to go that direction, you'll actually be playing a huge arc uh, that's part of that world's history and its own, you know, its its backdrop. Oh, nice. Uh, pre-gens, or do you make your own characters to, to bring into this? Uh, make your own characters. We we rarely, it's it's kind of one of my... It's a spillover from Castles and Crusades. Uh, you know, that's our flagship, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And CNC, one of the one of the things that we try to impress upon people is that character creation is insanely simple in Castles and Crusades. It's an attribute check system that runs the game. But uh, when you're when you sit down to actually make your character, it only takes you a couple of minutes to, to put it together and then start playing. So when I run con games or games at shops or wherever I'm I'm running them, I, I almost never have pre-gens because I want to demonstrate to people that this is how easy it is. And that philosophy just has kind of carried over into the, our approach to fifth edition uh, when, we're, when we're putting stuff out for fifth edition. Uh, plus, I think that at the end of the day, people really like players are as, and they are as creative as GMs. They really are. And they don't have the tools to express it because they're not actually creating this world. They may be creating parts of the world. But uh, so I think that one of the major major aspects of of play is creating that character that you want so we 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 i don't discourage pre-gens but we rarely put them in our product i agree that's real similar how i do things the only time i do pre-gens is like if i'm running a complicated system for character building like i run a lot of star wars fantasy flight game if we sat down to make characters it could take a table of five an hour or so and i think that's a little much for players at a con to do so I prefer to make up way more pregens than I need and give people a lot of options and then tell people, hey, that, that's kind of a guideline. If you want to change some things, we can on the fly. 
I'm pretty easy going with that kind of stuff. I want people to play the character they want to play. Right, right. And make it easy. We it, did when when we when we published third edition that we had to do a lot more pre gens in those days because I think it took it took a couple of hours to do a three E character. Put it yeah, together. it could. Yeah. In your Kickstarter with everything, does it have any tools to help a GM? I know a lot of them put in there tips and tricks and guides and things like that for GMs. Yes. Uh, so we do, there's two, two sides of what I, I do a weekly Twitch show called GM tricks of the trade. Uh, and we publish a newsletter every Thursday morning, maybe Friday. I can't remember when the newsletter goes. Oh, it's Thursday morning. Just before the show that has five tricks of the trade. You know, I've been, I've been running games for 40 years now or whatever it is. Um, and I've got a couple of, you know, experiences mm -hmm. that I like to share with people and, and whatnot. So that goes into it, but what's going to go into the undying war uh, I've taken a little bit of time and looked over some of the adventure paths that are already kind of that are published by Wizards of the Coast and who, whomsoever else. And we're gonna what I'm gonna do in this is is not map out the quest and well, it's not really a quest, but map out mm -hmm. the the challenges. But I'm gonna kind of lay it down as this is the way uh, the story is written. This is the way the campaign is envisioned, and this is how you can do this or do that with just kind of directions without being. I don't want to railroad any GM. You know they. You've got to be able to take it and run with it in any direction that you want. Uh, but definitely, this is a, a pretty complicated, there's two sides to the struggle here between what's going on. And there's a magic item that they have to assemble as, they, as they're going forward to, to Coburg the Undying's land, his tower. Uh, so that stuff will be kind of outlined so that they can get, get that information very quickly. Coburg, you mentioned him a few times. Is he a, a reoccurring kind of villain in some of your stories? So, so I'll give you a little bit of backdrop on the world of Aird. When I designed the world of Aird, I, I wanted to design it such that uh, gamers could take it and adopt it very, very easily. So you've mm -hmm. got about 12,000 years plus uh, mythological history, uh, prehistory periods. So you got about 12,000 years. It's kind of outlined. Then there's this long period called the Millennial Dark, where Unklar, the horned god, ruled the entire world of Aird. He locked it in, in, in the winter dark, and he just ruled it. He's banished and thrown out. It's 90 years later. So everything's kind of fresh, kind of new. So the GMs, when they come in, they can change whatever they want. And it doesn't really impact anything. You've still got, you know, 13,000 years of history that you can borrow from. But you can make this setting, the world of Aird, your own. Now, in the, in the mythologies of it, Coburg is one of Unklar's lieutenants. He's a very, very minor lieutenant. He's something of a coward. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's just a vile creature. He murders his master to get into, into Unklar's good graces and ends up being the gate warden of the tower called Alfstrag, which is where Unklar ruled the world. Now, once Unklar is thrown out, his minions scatter some fight, and Coburg somehow, through his conniving evil ways, uh, seizes a couple of levels of the tower of Alfstrag, which includes the mirrored throne, which is what Unklar ruled from. So here's, here's Coburg the Undying, this vile, evil, despicable man who's pretending that he's as great as Unklar was when he in no shape or form is at, at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and in order to kind of extend his greatness or show his greatness is why he's, he's beginning to wage this undying war. So it, in my games, uh, Coburg makes many, many appearances. He's immortal. He can't be killed. So he's got that side to him, but he can be defeated, obviously driven back, you know, roundly thrashed. Uh, but he's not a courageous man. He's got, he's, he's a vile coward, backstabbing, you know, that type of evil. A lot of good uh, bad guys really aren't that brave. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Conniving and doing everything they can. Uh, you mentioned romance. That's something that not yes. a lot of people are comfortable putting into games. I guess first question I have is when you say romance, what direction do you mean with romance? I know there's a lot of different ways people are kind of viewing that right now. Right. So uh, it's more of a traditional uh, Arthurian type, though, from an evil standpoint, not, you know, King Arthur and and uh, and Guinevere. Um, so Coburg, while he's guarding the gate at some point, I think it's like year 600 MD or something, the Millennial Dark, uh, this tribute is is brought to give to Unklar. And it's this lady who's bound in chains and her, and her mouth is is covered with a, a, a brass plate. Well, she's she's beautiful and Coburg immediately falls in love with her. Uh, and he steals her from Unklar. Well, she's actually an extraordinarily evil woman, and she's uh, her mouth is covered because if she kisses someone, she sucks their soul out. Well, she can't, and she tries to kill Coburg at one point, but she can't because he's Coburg the Undying, and then she falls in love with Coburg. So these two have this this dastardly love between each other in Alstrag under the shadow of Unklar. At some point after Unklar's banished during several of the wars that Coburg wages, she is stolen from him. She's kidnapped and hauled off to the Dreaming Sea. I don't want to get too much. I want to give too many mm-hmm. spoilers away in the Undying War, but she's hauled off. So part of his motivation is not only to expand his power, but he wants to find the Lady of Garoon and bring her back. So it's so it's whatever the DM does with this romance is entirely up to them. They just have, I'm giving them a backstory. They can flesh it out, drop it. They can do whatever they want. And it doesn't really impact the Undying War. Because I know, like you said earlier, romance is is very, very skewed these days, Mm -hmm. which direction you're coming from. Uh, And we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable or that they got to do this or that if they don't do it, then they leave something out. So it's really just kind of the backdrop that if you want to add that in there, it's all there for you to go with. Excellent. It's definitely something that, players and gms have to really pay attention to where people's comfort level is and like sure, so absolutely different definitions of romance i know there's a lot of systems now that call themselves romantic systems that to me are more swashbuckling and high seas more than what i would call romantic but i always like to just ask that question so that way people understand what your definition is of it i, I like the fact you said you had a lot of different npcs along the way yes as a gm Sometimes you need to just be able to pull a random one out when you need it. Or you need to have very specific story points where you have specific NPCs in it. Sometimes I struggle with that. and I think new GMs sometimes will struggle with that. So I think having a good group in there to really help them is an excellent thing to put into one. Uh, Without spoiling too much, which one's your favorite? Well, there's, there's so many of them. In the first, like, four chapters, A0 through A4, your your adventures take place in the Frusan River Valley near Botkinburg and Ludensheim, a larger town, a couple of farmsteads and whatnot that you're going to kind of weave your, your characters to. Malfortin, too, is another town. And there's there's absolutely tons of, of NPCs in here from uh, a baron who is my favorite. The baron of Botkinburg is my favorite. Uh, and then um, just shopkeepers. There's At one point, there's a war between two guilds that your characters get drawn into. I think that's in chapter three. So there's so many NPCs in here that, like I said, you'll be able to, to take some, leave some, do whatever, expand it, however you want to run with it. But but you're right. NPCs are an extraordinarily valuable tool for GMs. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people who 
who run games, even been, been running them for many years, don't quite value the NPC as, as highly as they should. I 100% agree. And as a yeah. primarily a GM myself, I, I have books of NPCs. And even as I create one, I might put, you know, the city of X has Bob the shopkeeper. Bob yep. has these goals, these little quirks. So if they ever come back to that city, I can flip back to my notepad and be like, aha, you guys removed Bob. This is what you did last time. So that way the players and I can kind of keep that relationship going. The fact you guys have them in there, I think is really helpful for people. That way you can flip back if you need to. Yeah, we actually, we just released, we, we closed down a Kickstarter uh, about three or four weeks ago called the NPC Almanac. And we released two hardcover books, each about 250 pages, just full of NPCs, absolutely full of NPCs. Uh, so it's just a great resource for people because the, you cannot value NPCs enough. I mean, they're just great. Yeah. And as a GM, sometimes I love it when players try to throw hey, let's have two or three NPCs in one scene and you're trying to act out two or three and bounce back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always smile and rub my hands together and kind of go, all right, challenge accepted. Let's do this. And right. Keep them all straight in my head. I do not. My biggest shortcoming probably with NPCs is I do not do voices very much. They pretty much all have my voice you know, as, as I'm talking. <laughs> I'm famous for all three voices I have. So I'm yeah. with you there. <laughs> I have good eh, and not so good. Those are my three voices. Yeah. Tell people, so. What are some of the, the new things you guys have put into this one? Uh, new magic items or any new monsters? And there's quite a few new magic items and there'll be new magic, new, new monsters for the fifth edition. A lot of these monsters already exist in castles and crusades, um, but there's creatures like the Ungarn that, that will be in there. Some, some demons will be in there. There's the witch queen uh, and quite a few new magic items uh, kind of sprinkled throughout. I like the uh, frost ogres too. Yeah, there's quite a few in there. I like the demon thing you said, but I like the horror games a little bit. So when people talk about kind of new demons and stuff. That always piques my interest, but that's a whole side tangent. I'll try to stay on target, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like you. I love demons and devils both. Absolutely love them. Well, it, it adds such a new level that players really don't understand the depth that you put into creating one and playing one because a right. demon and a devil is going to have levels of their plan more than just i want to rule something they have right. to really do a lot of planning and manipulating to get to where they are and i think it's neat to throw that into a game but if you're not into that it can weigh it down but i love doing that kind of stuff let's get into kind of the i guess the traditional things with the kickstarter uh it's already launched correct yes uh, we launched about a week ago we funded in about 30 minutes i think Awesome. Uh, and it's and it's creeping up to forty thousand right now with five hundred nine backers. Uh, okay. It's done very very well. Uh, how much time do we have left? Or I should say, what's your cutoff? Uh, Twenty two days. Twenty two days. Uh, today we're recording on May fourth, so the twenty sixth then is our cutoff. Yeah, twenty sixth or twenty seventh. Yeah, somewhere around in there. And uh, I'm going to try to get this uh, set up so Michael can release it pretty quick, so that. Anybody listening can jump on there and have time to look at everything. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, stretch goals. You have a bunch so we've of added. Uh, we 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 shot through the first four really quickly, uh, and this was stuff that uh, I felt was very very helpful to the GMs. One of it's like a the preludes to Alfstrag, which gives you a better understanding of what the Tower of Alfstrag is. So when you get there, you'll have some kind of conception of what 
you have, you know, what you're up against and the others are, are kind of in that vein, uh, setting material around the adventures. So in case your characters, your players kind of wander off, off script a little bit, you've got that material up for it. Uh, and then we, we've gone through those and right, right now we're doing a series of adventures, uh, called the M series M one, two, three, and four, uh, these let's see, M1 and M2 are unlocked, and these adventures are actually written, and they take place about 150 miles on this map behind me, but 150 miles to the to the east of where the characters will be. So if the you can just take them and run them all by yourself, whatever they don't have anything to do with the Undying War, but if you want to kind of weave them in, they're very easy to weave into the Undying War and, and add that just extra oomph to the overall you know quest. And we the, the next stretch rewards, which will roll out tonight, or probably tomorrow, we're going to start adding VTT uh, platforms. Uh, Shard, uh, we're working with Shard, we're working with uh, Fantasy Grounds, uh, and with a little bit of luck, Roll20 and, and Foundry as well. So we'll start adding some VTT content to the, as, the, as the Kickstarter moves forward. Okay. Uh, lots of maps in here, real detailed. Very detailed maps. That's one of the things that we hired a, a new cartographer, Bill Edmonds, and he does uh, maps that will print for us very nicely and uh, appear in PDFs very nicely and do VTT as well. And it'll have like, if there's a bed in the room and a desk, there'll be a bed in a room, you know, a bed and a desk drawn in the room. Everything's mapped down. It's very, I'm very excited about this, this direction that, that the maps are taking. Excellent. Uh, maps are a huge help for me. That's one of my weaknesses. Thank I. You hate drawing them i'm not gonna lie most of my world is hey you're on this continent uh to the west is forest to the east is a desert south is cold north is uh forest that's pretty much yeah, the extent I, of my maps so i cannot draw for the life of me i can't even i can't even trace maps if i'm playing i'm horrible with it so i what i what i've traditionally done since the early 80s i will buy an adventure I have no intention of actually playing that adventure, but I want some maps. So I just use the maps from it because I need maps all the time. I've done that a lot. Uh, yep. <laughs> that's definitely something I've done. And you've said VT, VVT a few times or VTT, just for somebody who's VTT. not familiar with that term. Virtual tabletop, is that correct? Or yes, virtual tabletop. And uh, there's several ways, you know, people are, especially in the last few years, people have really shifted to online play a lot. For, for world playing games using zoom or whatever they're using mm -hmm. uh and the vtt the virtual tabletop platforms like fantasy grounds allows you the maps are set up in front of you and you're kind of walking your tokens through the maps lighting rooms shard is the same way uh so it brings a, a level of play uh that's that if if that's the approach that you want it gives you that detail in those maps and kind of lets you play in real time i do it a lot the way the last couple of years have gone it's just kind of pushed i think gaming in that direction it has definitely done that. So it's funny how you said it. And I was like, oh, I know what that is. But then I couldn't spell it when I asked myself to. So. <laughs> well, and there's ever there's more and more of these, you know, uh, VTT platforms coming out, which is absolutely fantastic and very healthy for the industry. Uh, you know, like I said, Shard, Fantasy Grounds, Roll20, uh, there's uh, and Foundry. There's, there's quite a few of them. I agree. I play a lot of tabletop simulator. Sometimes when I come from home from work, you know, I manage an office at 10 people doing medical supplies for people in their homes. Some days I have a lot of insurance questions, which if you're not familiar with medical insurance is very draining on you mentally to deal with it. Yeah. So sometimes I come home and just 
click on a tabletop board game and invite a few friends to jump in and we all just kind of have some mindless fun for a few hours. It's very nice. <laughs> it's a fantastic hobby. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's so nice to get together with friends and just chat on the yep. microphone and not have to drive out of your house or put pants on. Either way, it's fun to do. <laughs> However you want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Most people are going to ask, uh, when are you expecting delivery shipments to go out for people? So uh, the Undying War is written. Uh, it's been heavily play tested. What the elements that need to be added to it, uh, we the art, uh, we've hired Zoe Devos to do, we do all the art in it. She's on fourth chapter or fifth chapter, I'm not sure which. And then, of course, Bill Edmonds has to do the maps. We're hoping to have all that done in the next three to four months. And the writing that I'll have to do for it uh, is just introductory chapters for each of, introductory material for each of the chapters and the kind of how-to background that we talked about earlier that uh, the, the kind of guidance that uh, those GMs that who want it will be in there, which isn't it, that there won't be a huge amount. And then we're going to add an epilogue to this. When this was originally conceived, these 13 adventures end at the gates of Alfstrag, which in the world of Erd, Alfstrag is hell. That is that is where hell is. So you end up at the gates of hell and the in the castles and crusades. And we've kind of gone it, it, we've done this a bit in the CNC stuff. We're mapping all 21 levels of hell of Alfstrag, and the thing is monstrously huge. So the idea is that you arrive at the gates of hell and then begin the next adventure path that takes you up the top where you encounter Coburg and all of that business. However, understanding that that's a whole that's a whole different commitment that people may not want to do. Uh, I'm going to add a, an epilogue to this to the Undying War <clears throat> that allows people to encounter Coburg earlier without going you know through all of that okay is it set up kind of in chapters or do you have kind of like first level here second level here it's, it kind it's of set up in chapters and as you weave through the chapters uh, i was just talking to uh one of the folks today is you would the, the milestones will be set in the middle or somewhere in those chapters where you go up a level here and you go up a level there um if that's the way you want to do it, we're also going to do traditional experience points. If, if you want to go the other route, I really, as a designer, we like to leave as much freedom for the game master as, as possible. So that, because the styles are wildly different, you know, between the way I game and, and, and Bob games, it's just, it, it might be the same, but there's a good chance that it's very, very different. Oh, for sure. Um, so we, we, yeah. And so we try to leave that open, open to folks, but uh, yeah, that'll be in all of the chapters, 13 chapters in all. Nice. Milestones is the word I was looking for and just couldn't come up with it. That's more how I run games. I tell people, don't worry about experience points. I'll forget how to do it. I'll just tell you when I think we've leveled up. Or as a group, we'll kind of say, hey, we've done this, this, and this. I think we've done enough to level up. And then I go, yep, you're right. Yeah, and that's when we originally conceived this at the Undying War, um, it was really designed so that you would play and play part of this adventure and then do your own stuff for quite a while to gain more experience and then do the second part and then go off on your own and then do the third part. But the adventure path approach is, is much more linear, I think, and much more conducive to rapid play and, you know, enjoying this campaign art. So I think the milestones, uh, it's just a great addition to be, to fifth edition. Cause I don't think that was in the original five E rules. But it's just it's just a good a, a good way to give someone you know who wants to advance faster the tools to do so. It also 
gives you the ability as a GM to reward players for role playing. So it's yes. not just about killing things to level up. My opinion. Yes, that's one of the things. One of the things we push in Castles and Crusades is, and you really can't level up past fifth, sixth, seventh level in any of these RPGs unless you're giving experience points for more than mm-hmm. just monsters. Because it's, you know, when you need a quarter of a million experience points to get to, to, get to the yes. next level, that's a lot of giants. Uh, <laughs> no, I agree. Kill, so, yeah. yeah, and that puts a lot of burden on your GM, which can sometimes yep. take away from their fun. Um, we've said it's fifth edition designed. How easy would it be to take this and convert it to other systems? This was originally written for Castles and Crusades. The first, the first one, A0, which will be chapter two in The Undying War, was originally written for Castles and Crusades, and we converted it to, to fifth edition because CNC is an attribute check system and 5E is an attribute check system, uh, mm-hmm. both OGL. So it, it meshed very, very easily. So I think that pretty much certainly any, any version of Dungeons and Dragons, except maybe fourth, I'm not very familiar with fourth, uh, any version of, of D&D, you'll be able to, to convert this stuff, you know, fairly, fairly easily to a D&D. You're going to have to do that. You know, the negative armor classes, you're going to have to yeah. convert your ACs, <laughs> you know, do that, that end of things. Uh, but yeah, I can't imagine anyone having much trouble converting it over. Yeah. For those that have never played the old D&D, uh, Google Thaco, and you'll get a little confused for a little while because the lower your armor class, the better it was because you opponents then had to roll higher then they switched around to target numbers which honestly makes a whole lot more sense but makes a little bit more sense i still slip into the ad and d stuff now every now and again i'll be i'll be playing it's a negative four armor class i mean i mean (laughs) you're like sweet i'll roll against that now that'll be easy (laughs) i can hit that (laughs) yeah i think that was the hardest thing to teach new players was thaco and we used to have charts that we would just hand people here, your thack was yeah. 18. You need an 18 to hit armor class zero. If it's a higher than a zero, you, you subtract from that number, your target number. And yeah. We should just give them little charts was, to make it easy. Yeah. <laughs> it was too much. Yeah. Yeah. But there are other things that are more difficult to explain in, you know, current editions. But yeah. That would be a all, all of these games have their nuances that and once you once whatever game that it is you've picked up to learn to play you're going to learn to play that and you're going to love that and go with it even the difficult parts there's parts of AD&D that always made me go what yeah but i loved it because it was my first game right and mm-hmm. then you and so so then you move on i think that I, i'm sure you remember the edition wars of a few years ago oh, i always sure. found those <laughs> always found those arguments a little bit bizarre uh, all of the games have faults all of them have you know good good qualities and whatnot yeah i've always said and you know when i met michael and he and i just kind of 100 percent agreed on this is it's your game it's your story tell it the way you want play the game you want tom's probably screaming if he's listening to this just say it chris you know the logo for the rpg academy is if you're having fun you're doing it right and that's just been right. my theory for years even before I ever even got involved with this group. So I've always laughed whenever somebody yelled, well, that's not how the rule is in the book. <laughs> I've even pulled out the original, you know, DM's guide where you crack it open and the player's guide where it says right in there, this is a guide for you to play your games. Right. It's not a rules book. I always tell people, hey, it was originally designed for you to just kind of use it as a guide. Don't be set in stone. Be flexible. Have fun with it. 
And we call that in CNC, we call that the tyranny of rules. And it's always, it's always cracked me up when people, you know, you'll see it and someone will post, you're not playing the game right. It makes no sense to me. If you're having fun, you're playing it right. That's, Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's it. I have a one minute rule. If you say you want your character to do something and I don't know the rule or I don't know how the, the mechanics work, I go, huh, cool. In one minute, let's figure it out. We can't figure it out in a minute. You're going to roll a die. The higher that die is, the more successful you were at it. After the game, when we're sitting around having pizza and a drink, we can look through the rule book and try to figure it out. I don't want to take an hour in the game to figure it out because that bores your players and takes too much right. mental energy. Just roll the die. Let's go. I usually tell you, people. You game, ex- yeah, you game exactly like I do. I like fast-paced movement. And when mm-hmm. the role playing is real good, I won't have to stop anything and hash out how the suggestion spell actually works. Just make a ruling, or like you said, roll the dice. And then I'll say this, just like you, I'll say this very frequently. We'll figure out the actual particulars when the game's over. But for now, this is what happens. Yeah, I always tell people, as a player, you're probably going to win that argument, so to speak, more often than not, or that die roll. Like, it's going to go in your favor unless you roll that magic number of one, then right <laughs> then it's fun because then you can go all right you failed but how did you fail what what spectacular yeah. thing happens that makes it now right. more entertaining <laughs> but you know again we can go on for that for a while and i think that'll start to i'll start repeating myself because people have heard me say it many many times so <laughs> well, as you guys were kind of designing this what were some of the obstacles you ran into or some of the issues you might come up with or the biggest obstacle to this series and this will be fixed and this is what i'm actually one of the things i'm very excited about in this kickstarter and with the undying war the biggest obstacle when we released a1 which is like i said it'll be chapter two in the undying war and it was released as the first adventure for castles and crusades and it really wasn't this great grandiose vision for it well then fast forward six months later davis wrote a2 and then a3 and then a4 but this was over several years and not until about a3 or a4 did he start kind of really shaping this bigger discussion, this bigger, you know, struggle mm-hmm. going on? So, uh, you know, it took us about eight years to get all of them out and, and put together. So actually, the biggest challenge has been making sure the narrative that was actually created a little bit after it began was woven into all of them so that the, the game master can understand these are the elements that you need to focus on. And we have we have achieved that in the castles and crusades versions, and that's what I want. I will have in the Undying Wars. We'll have all of that kind of laid out, and the, the problems that erupted uh, over the, the long lifespan of this of this creation will be fixed, and it'll be a nice, uh, you know, linear thematic thematically woven together uh, adventure for the for the GMs. And obviously, the echoes of its original conception are still there. So if you want to break that up and don't really want to kind of carry through with all of the undying war in the Cobra, you, you certainly can do that. It, it'll all be there at your fingertips. Just so I'm understanding it right, Undying Wars is started by Coborg. Yeah. Or... So it's kind of got... Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Okay, it's kind of got a double meaning. It's He's he's Coburg the Undying. That's who people know him as. So it's his war, the Undying, the Undying or the Undying's war. But it's also the struggle between good and evil, which in and of itself is a never-ending conflict. It it too is an Undying war. So it has kind of a double meaning there uh, in its title. 
Excellent. That's probably would have been the first question I should ask is why I call it undying wars, but I think we kind of flushed it out <laughs> as we were going. So, well, you know, now that I say it, I should probably put that on the Kickstarter as well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's on the Kickstarter. <laughs> ah, no worries. I'm trying to think if there's anything I missed. Uh, we got all the stretch goals, all the deliveries, so people know all the mechanics of the Kickstarter. Oh, I guess backer levels. I didn't ask that. Uh, how much are you guys uh, asking people to sponsor it for the, the different levels? Uh, the, the 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 lowest buy-in is nineteen dollars, and that gets you the PDF of the the book itself will be about three hundred and fifty pages, full color. I think about seventy something maps in there, and the 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 early buy-in, the lower the lower end of buy-in is nineteen dollars. That gets you the PDF, and you're good to go. For those people who just want the maps, we've got a level in there for that. That's twenty five dollars. And then uh, the next level after that is the $60 level, which gets you the hardcover print book. Uh, and just a, a quick note on books that Troller Games prints. I'm very particular on the way we we, pr we produce them. Uh, they're printed mm -hmm. with professional printers. It's not POD or any of that. And this will be a hardcover book that's smite sewn with nice signatures woven into the, the headband and all of this. It'll be very well put together. Our books do not fall apart. And Excellent. if they do, we replace them. So, uh, and then, so that's the $60 level that gets you the PDF and the book itself and the book will retail for $59.99. And then the sweet spot is at $99 because you get the book, the PDF, three other smaller books that are all the setting material, uh, background material, a huge overland map that kind of lets you know where each chapter takes place. Uh, and that'll be a nice big fold out map that comes with it. Uh, and then beyond that, there's the collector's level. That has all of the all of that I just mentioned, plus a leather version. It's nicely, you know, genuine leather, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And then for the retailers out there, we have a retailer level for them to jump in at a nice discount on on their buy-in. Excellent. So it's very cost friendly. I know that's always a concern, especially for newer players getting into the game. I know it can be real intimidating to go, oh, I gotta buy, you know, a sixty dollar player's right. book. I gotta buy dice. I gotta buy, you know, all this stuff. It's not very scary for anybody to go, hey, look, I can buy the PDF for you know, basically $20. 20 bucks and you're in, yeah. Yeah, have it right there. I, I always say to people, that's an awesome price point and an awesome idea to keep it right there for the PDF. Keep it budget friendly. Get me hooked on this. Yeah, I agree. And it's, yeah. Excellent. Anything I missed or anything else that you want to add into it? I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, I really appreciate you guys having us on. This has been fantastic. No and we're, we're really excited about this. This is kind of, TLG has done quite a few fifth edition material, but we've done it in the same format that we do Castles and Crusades. And I think 5e is, a, is, a, is, as much as the two games are similar, it's a different animal. So I'm really excited about the adventure path approach here. You know, one big book brings it all to you. A nice big hardcover that, that can survive the thrashing that, <laughs> that our tables tend to give books so <laughs> I, yeah i've got i still have some of my old ones that are duct taped together to hold them together yep. and everything else so <laughs> uh, i've been there many many times so i understand that well i i think it sounds like an awesome campaign i, you know, I love the the deep lore you've got but it's still open for gms and players to do what they want within it you know all the mythology you talked about I'm a huge fan of the NPCs. I think I kind of hit that enough <laughs> earlier. As a GM, you can't have too many NPCs, in my opinion. Uh, I like new monsters to come in with that new lore. And, you know, of course, all the demons. That's probably the direction I'd head right away, but that's just me. 
I like the fact that you start off at first level, can build it up and kind of have a real campaign out of it. You know? Right. I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, a lot of those stories that jump in and go, oh, it starts at 11th level. Well, right. How does that or tie even be- in with my story or my campaign? Like Exactly. Or even when you begin at low level and you're immediately pitched into this save the world type campaign, which isn't realistic at, at low level. No, so that no. and that's sort of the way we've done this is to, to weave it so as you move up you be you're just drawn into this con i i love that idea i i 100 agree with you first level shouldn't be saving the world yeah <laughs> first level you should be trying to save you know the farmer's daughter or the yeah. the the you know the town hall or something like that not saving the world it's, it's funny you should say that because the first encounter is an old raid on a farmstead that's <laughs> that's perfect that's what you're doing <laughs> yeah I, i'm also a fan of you know, I, i've started a lot of games where your character is literally what is your job and then people go hi i go what's your job in the community are you a farmer are you the butcher are you a, a blacksmith you don't even have a level yet something happens it kind of takes you out of that role and now you're going to get your first level now we're going to build your character based on what happened in that scenario oh that's very interesting yeah it's fun to do i warn people you got to have the right group because it's very improv heavy and they have to be good at kind of rolling with the punches and at the same time they got to be good at not looking at their character sheet going i have an 18 intelligence i have to do something smart right sort of maybe Maybe not. Maybe, Maybe you're really smart and you're just not very wise. You know, I've yeah. You're not motivated. You're like just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, again, that's my style of gaming. I love building up from, uh, I don't want to say nothing to something grand, but right. I guess normal life all the way up to something grand, you know, have the, the real hero's journey, you know, pull the, pull the guy out of the shire and make him go toss a ring in a mountain. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's again my style sounds like this is set up to do that kind of game and it is definitely it, it sounds you know like I, i'm super intrigued i hope everybody else is after listening to this and jump on you know the kickstarter check out you know the undying wars you got till the 26th of this month to get it i'm sure if they even if they miss the kickstarter and they go to your website and pick it up later Absolutely. Yep. It'll be available in the store the whole nine yards. We we print deep print runs. So yeah, definitely. Excellent. Uh, if you can just have somebody send me the links to all that stuff, I'll ask Michael to put that stuff in the show notes for everybody. So you can click on the Kickstarter. You can Perfect. click on your website. So if you're interested in, you know, even the, the castles and crusades that you've talked about quite a bit, uh, it sounds like a pretty neat system as well, which yeah, you know, let's come on some other time and talk about that. I can talk. Yeah, about that'd be great. Stuff all day but my wife yeah. will yelling at me eventually uh, <laughs> she doesn't do that often you know we've been together 20 yeah, years you know. <laughs> 20 years of marriage she understands what my personality is so she lets me get away right. with my little hobby uh, excellent well, hey, hey steve i appreciate you coming on you know, I, I wish you guys the best of luck i hope this is a huge success for you and that you have many many more down the road Troll Lord well, thank Games. you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Oh, anytime. Well, as Michael and I usually say, uh, time to do the awkward wave is I remind everybody <laughs> if you're doing if, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.
Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.